In this session, we delve into one of the more controversial topics in sacred scripture. Not controversial because of the scripture itself. In fact, the, the Bible is quite clear on the topic before us this session, but controversial because of the gender volatile climate in which we currently reside. With that said, let me smack the nest and let's watch the hornets swarm. We continue our study in 1 Peter in chapter 3, chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Peter writes, In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Notice that first phrase in chapter 3, verse 1, in the same way. In the same way as what? Back to chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Verse 18 of chapter 2. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Peter has been addressing the importance of properly coming under the leadership of those who are in authority. But notice, in both cases, Peter provides a motivation for such submission. Back at verse 13, submit, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Why? He tells us in verse 15, For such is the will of God, that by doing right, here it is, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. In verse 18, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Why? He answers the question in verse uh, 20. This finds favor with God. But how do we submit to leadership when that leadership is unjust? We talked about that in our last session. How do we submit to those who are unjust? Just like the Lord Jesus did. Verse 21 of chapter 2, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. And as we said previously, God will not ask anything of us that he has not already done a thousandfold for us. That brings us back to 
chapter 3, verse 1. In the same manner as everything that I've already mentioned, in every situation, every example that I have already addressed, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians 3 spoke of the importance of marital submission. Over the decades, this biblical admonition has met with incredible derision. I can recall over 40 decade, uh, four decades ago when a female pastor stood in the chapel service of my Baptist college and said that the concept of submission presented by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 is evidence that Paul was a male chauvinist pig. Those were her words that day. Now, as then, I cringe at her ignorance. In the first century world, women were considered possessions or property. They had no rights. It was the Apostle Paul under Christ who elevated women to a position of equality they had never before experienced in the Greco-Roman world. In fact, he wrote to the Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is, here it is, neither male nor female, for that we are all one in Christ. Paul actually elevated the status of women to a level they had never before experienced. And yet within the home, the role or the responsibility of the wife is to reflect the kingdom of God and how she relates to her husband. In fact, some wonderful, godly, well-meaning believers have sought to navigate this volatile toxic, taboo subject by reminding people that Paul's admonition in chapter 5, verse 22 of Ephesians, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, is preceded by verse 21 that says, submit to one another in the fear of Christ. And their rationale is, since verse 21 comes before verse 22, that Paul is telling everyone to be submissive. And there is an element of mutual submission within the body of Christ. The Bible does teach that, but that in absolutely no way negates the role of the wife in regard to reflecting the kingdom of God in her home by submitting to her husband. Now that I have kicked the hornet's nest and we feel them swarming, and in fear of this session becoming the most disliked session ever to appear in our First Peter study, let's look at the text. First Peter chapter 3, verse 1. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. What is submission? We have addressed it, as I said earlier, on two previous occasions, the word Greek word for submission is the word upotasso. It is actually a military term, meaning to, to place under rank. So submission 
is the voluntary yielding of one's rights to come under the leadership or authority of another. More importantly, notice submission is a matter of choice. It is an act of the will. It is a matter of the wife willingly, yieldingly submitting to the leadership of her husband for the purpose of reflecting the kingdom of God in her marriage. The verb tense that Peter uses is also in the passive is the passive tense, implying that it's not only done willingly, it's done joyfully. <laughs> not grudgingly, but gratefully. Now understand, submission is not blind obedience. Please hear me clearly and do not misunderstand, misrepresent the text. Submission is not blind obedience. It is not blindly doing everything a husband says to do. It is under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, respecting your husband under God in a manner that transforms the culture around you for the kingdom of God. Also notice the text, a wife is not submissive to any and every man. She is to be submissive to her own husband. She is not simply a strong woman. She is a woman of strength. Some years ago, a church member sent me an email that I want to share with you. It's simply entitled, Strong Woman versus Woman of Strength. A strong woman works out every day to keep her body in shape, but a woman of strength kneels in prayer to keep her soul in shape. A strong woman isn't afraid of anything, but a woman of strength shows courage even in the midst of fear. A strong woman won't let anyone get the best of her, but a woman of strength gives the best of her to everyone. A strong woman walks sure-footedly, but a woman of strength notes God's will, ca will catch her even when she falls. A strong woman wears the look of confidence on her face, but a woman of strength wears grace. A strong woman has faith that she is strong enough for the journey, but a woman of strength has faith that it is in the journey that she will become strong. Back to the text, some readers notice Paul's comment, so that even if any of them, referring to the husbands, are disobedient to the word, they read that phrase and assume that most of these husbands were unbelievers. Well, the text actually implies just the opposite. Look at verse 1 again. So that even if any of them... The text implies that an unbelieving husband in this regard is an exception to the rule. He, he's not the norm, he is the exception. But how a wife handles that relationship could perhaps bring that husband to faith. Now, it is my contention, a woman will have far less difficulty 
submitting to her husband if she knows her husband is sincerely seeking to honor God in the way that he leads his family. But this particular session is not regarding the husband. We'll get to that in the next session, but is regarding the submission of the wife. And in that regard, the old adage still stands, tried, tested, and true. Actions speak louder than words. The point, she lives out her faith in front of her husband so that by living out her faith in front of her husband, if her husband does not possess that faith, by living out her faith in front of her husband, her husband will be one to faith as he observes her faith. <laughs> now let's continue. Look at verse 3. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. Again, the principle presented before us has given way to perverse extremism. Some have misinterpreted the passage to imply any attempt at outward attractiveness is sinful. And so they promote long skirts, plain clothes, no makeup, and hair in a bun. In their view, the only part of an individual that matters is the inward character of the woman. That's all that counts. But notice Peter says, your adornment must not be merely external. Peter does not say a woman should ignore her external appearance. Now, what he says is she must not be consumed or obsessed with only the external appearance. In fact, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah condemned the Old Testament women of Israel for their overwhelming obsession with the external. In Isaiah chapter 3, verse 16, condemning the women of Israel Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, Moreover, the Lord said, Because the daughters of Zion are proud, it's not a good proud, it's a bad proud, because the daughters of Zion are proud and walk, here it is, with heads held high. Try to visualize as we walk through this condemnation in Isaiah chapter 3. Try to envision in your mind this description because the daughters of Zion are proud and walk with heads held high and seductive eyes, you hear the descriptors, and go along with mincing steps and tinkle the bangles on their feet. That is, they, they move their feet, they back and forth so that people will hear those bangles tinkling as they walk. Therefore, the Lord will afflict the scalp of the daughters of Zion with scabs, and the Lord will make their foreheads bare. In that day, the Lord will take away, listen to this list. The Lord will take away the beauty of their anklets, headbands, crescent ornaments, dangling earrings, bracelets, veils, headdresses, ankle chains, sashes, perfume boxes, amulets, 
finger rings, nose rings, festal robes, outer tunic cloaks, money purses, hand mirrors, undergarments, turbans, and vests. My word, it must have taken the women of Israel all day just to get dressed. Now it will come about that instead of sweet perfume, there will be putrefaction. Instead of a belt, a rope. Instead of well-set hair, a plucked-out scalp. Instead of fine clothes, a dawning of sackcloth. And branding instead of beauty. Ouch. All of that emphasis, all of that obsession with external appearance. But let me look at the other side of this condemnation. If a woman is obsessed with downplaying her beauty, dressing blandly, dressing plainly, isn't she still being obsessed with outward appearance? The opposite extreme, but still an obsession over the external. Outward appearance in and of itself is not bad. In the Song of Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived praised his lover for being beautifully adorned. Or Revelation chapter 21, John writes, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, here it is, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Now let's take that visual image and apply it to what we're seeing in 1 Peter chapter 3. Would heaven be at all appealing if God went to overwhelming extremes to hide the beauty of heaven? To make it bland, to make it boring, to make it unappealing. Would, it, would any of us be interested in heaven? Look at the description. A bride adorned for her husband. As a pastor for almost 30 years, I've presided over several hundred weddings. Some good, some bad. Some happy, some sad. Some small, some large. Some intimate, some productions. But I can tell you every one of those weddings had one common denominator. That woman standing at the back of that aisle, ready to walk down that aisle to her betroth, has done everything she could possibly do to make herself more attractive than she had ever been. Now, in some cases, it may have taken an extra thick veil and some extra war paint, but she's done everything she can do to make herself as attractive as she could possibly be for her future husband. A bride adorned for her husband. That is heaven. So Peter's in no way suggesting outer appearance is unimportant. He is simply saying it should not be a wife's obsession as she should not make the external more important or more significant than her inward character. Peter 
is warning. Don't put your emphasis on the external appearance at the expense of developing a godly internal character. Your inside should be reflected on the outside. When people look at you, they ought to see the Holy Spirit within. And then he actually summarizes further in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. He's very specific in telling us, your adornment must not be merely external. What does he mean? Then he tells us, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. Braiding hair in the Greco-Roman world was an art form. Women would go to great extremes to make their hair rise high on their head. They, They would deck that bonnet out with chains of gold or strings of pearl. What Peter's implying is don't use your head as a way of drawing attention to yourself. Use your hair as a way to display your beauty, not as a neon sign to draw attention to it. Then he refers to the wearing of jewelry. He's saying let your jewelry be used to accentuate your beauty, not attract undue attention to it. Dresses. He's imploring these wives, dress with modesty and elegance, not with flash and cash. What a word for our generation. Let me try to summarize everything Peter is saying to the wife who needs to submit to her husband. Real beauty is who you are on the inside. And that does not fade with age. Peter's exhortation, be ageless, be timeless by letting your godly character be on full display. Amen. Be warned. In the next session, we focus on the husband's responsibility to his wife. See you next session. Once again, let me thank you for joining us on this journey through God's Word. We know your time is precious, and so we consider it an incredible privilege that you've chosen to spend it with us. As I have shared before, we'd love to hear from you. Knowing how we have encouraged you encourages us Recently, I had an individual say, I sit in front of my computer with my Bible, with my notebook, with my pen, ready to learn from God's Word. If you're watching on YouTube, you can leave a comments note at the bottom. We'd love to see those. Or you can reach us. Our email address is wordpowermm at gmx.com. Wordpowermm at gmx.com. If watching this ministry and learning from God's Word has encouraged you, please tell others about us, whether they watch us on YouTube, find us on Instagram, or on podcast. 
We'd love to know that we are being used by God to help people go deeper in their faith. God bless you. And again, thank you.